and welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivio, your podcast for discussions on films that are out of date, out of fashion, out of style, out of print, out of order, you know, not around. I am your host, James Eldred. And who do I got back for another episode? I am Anthony Abbott and happy to uh, be back here, especially for this movie. Yes, Anthony, thanks for coming back. We, I, this is my continuing quest to pick happy films because everything sucks. And we were talking about happy films. We, you, it, because of you, I watched Paddington 1 and 2. Ooh, what, just top level, what did you think overall? Uh, I loved them. Um, pa- my boyfriend cried three times during Paddington 1. Mm-hmm. And both of us were pathetic wrecks of human beings at the, at the end of Paddington 2. Wow, it so, sounds exactly like my experience. <laughs> but in a good way. In a ha- it was a happy cry. It wasn't yeah. a sad cry. So, exactly. yeah. Great, 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 great movies. Also helped me come down from Stranger Things, which, 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 which broke my brain. But, uh, you know, I needed some, some good time, happy times. Speaking of good time, happy times, today we are talking about 1976's all-time classic Car Wash, directed by... Uh, Michael Schultz, written by Joel fucking Schumacher, and starring 8 million people. So many people. <laughs> Anthony, had you seen this film before? I have seen Car Wash several times. It was a movie I grew up on. Uh, my uncle showed me this movie when I was maybe like in my early teens as a movie that he saw in the theater. And so I grew up watching it with my family. And he also... My uncle was a big, big music person, and he had this mm-hmm. soundtrack on vinyl. So this soundtrack has been a <laughs> part of my life for a long time. I, I forgot who it was. It might have been TL. I, I don't think it was you. Um, who brought up The Wiz to me? Was it? I think it, it wasn't you, right? It might have um, been TL, but I also yeah, have it, a similar experience with The Wiz, though. But he, he referred to that as Black Cannon. <laughs> I, I was going to say Car Wash is part of Black Cannon. Okay, good. I know that was a yeah. new phrase to me because when he first said "black canon," my my brain went to canon films because I'm broken. Um, <laughs> but okay, yeah. So so car wash is also black canon. Yeah, car wash is one of those movies that it's 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 kind of a thing where um, a lot of black people just kind of grow up with it or have some relation like with the movie because I mean, even though there's other characters in this movie, it's largely targeted at like a black audience and like black people largely are the ones who like talk about this movie and pass it on to other people. And I mean, just for full context, I mean, I had um, some roommates like years ago Two, just, they were two white guy roommates. And this was a movie that I had where we want to watch a fun, like comedy one day. I was like, have y'all seen car wash? And they had no idea what it was. And one of them started George Carlin's name. He's like, well, I know George Carlin is. I see Richard Pryor. Like, let's watch it. And they both fell in love with it. And they wondered how they had never known about it. I said, well, it's just something I think that you grew up with in a black household that you kind of just, yeah, it's black canon. It's one of the films that kind of everyone has seen or experienced at some point. Everyone like knows something about. And I think it, while it is a great movie, I think we both love it. It, 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 it's not like shaft or Superfly, or like classic black exploitation films that kind of have withstood time and stuck around in, in some mainstream capacity. Car mm-hmm. wash is very disco. Yeah. And, yeah. I feel that may probably heard it post post disco, like in the eighties. I bet it was a very uncool film because the disco backlash. Even the way it looks, though, you can tell they had more money than those other movies, right? Like the black exploitation movies were very much indie movies, and I think like Universal made this movie. Universal made this. Universal made this right when Jaws was getting popular, so they they had money. 
Um, yeah. It was still a cheap film. It cost about two million dollars, which was not not, a, not not nothing back then, but it was not a a huge big budget affair. Um, I think the director of this, uh, Michael Scholes, he did other other films that I would consider black canon, like Cooley High, which I have not seen the entirety of since I was probably nine. <laughs> so I don't remember. And he also did Last Dragon, which, you oh, know. Oh, yes. Big fan of Last Dragon. B- big fan of Last Dragon. And this is one of his first big films. I think he made this right after Cooley High. And it was kind of, he for him, it was a big deal because it was his first, like, super big budget thing so yeah. like yeah he made some he made uh some tv movies uh and some he directed some t- tv series like he did an episode of Starsky and hutch and then he did car wash and so for him it was a big deal and it was probably at the time one of the biggest films ever made by a black director it's gotta um, be yeah you know um because he was a big deal i talked about him a lot on the last dragon podcast uh michael soltz i think is an interesting director because he's made a lot of great films he's made a lot of terrible films like he made the sergeant pepper's only hutch club band movie which is not his fault <laughs> that's <laughs> Wait, um, I've, never, I've never seen it is it that bad it is it is an infamous bomb it's a it's it's a musical i've never seen it either but because nobody has but it is a it's it's based on the beatles album but it stars um peter frampton and the fucking Bee Gees. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> and it came out in peak disco, like right at the very peak of disco, 78, but right when there was a backlash against disco. And I have my thoughts on disco backlash. A lot of people say it's homophobic and racist. I tend to disagree with that, partially because the biggest disco artists in the world that caused the backlash were the goddamn Bee Gees. And you can't get whiter or straighter. <laughs> and I still hate the Bee Gees. So... And I like disco, but I hate the Bee Gees. Absolutely hate them. So I will not watch that movie. Um, I like Peter Frampton, <laughs> but um, I, I just I just know the one Peter Frampton song with the with, show with me the, the way. Code. Yeah, well, yeah. I want you. Yeah, no, that album's yeah. great. Uh, the live the Frampton comes alive. Yeah, but anyway, um, have you seen any of the Michael Schultz films? Michael Schultz films. Um, of course, uh, we talked about Cooley High. Cooley High is a movie that I saw. I want to say maybe once. It's actually a movie my mom talked about a lot. She mm-hmm. grew up watching Cooley High. It was like something that she loved. And I remember seeing it maybe once on TV. Um, Inspiration for what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Another, another show I grew up on. Well, um, me too, actually. <laughs> and I'm seeing he did a sequel to The Jerk called The Jerk 2. I've never seen that. That's a TV movie without, without Steve Martin. So okay. that's why you haven't seen it. That has a dude named Mark Blankfield, I think. Um, I'd never seen that. It does have it does have Ray Walston, who's my boy, one of my favorite character actors, but I, I haven't seen that. He made two, I guess, quote unquote bad movies I love. Scavenger Hunt, which I think one day will be on this podcast, which has like everyone in it that has, let's see, Scatman Crothers, Cloris Leachman, Cleavon Little, Lottie McDowell, Richard Mulligan, Dirk Benedict. Willie Ames, Meatloaf, Vincent Price, Tony Randall, hell of a cast. And he made uh, the Fat Boys film, <laughs> Dis- Disorderlies. The movie, you know who the Fat Boys are? I do know. I was going to say because the Fat Boys are in another movie on this list that he made, which is Crush Groove. Oh, yeah. well, Crush Groove is a good movie. Yeah, a movie, movie that I sincerely love. Yeah, no, that's a good movie. Fat Boy, um, Disorderlies is a movie I love. <laughs> is it a good movie? 
No, is no, uh, <laughs> no. It's not a good movie. I, I answered my own question, but I, I really enjoy. As a kid, I thought it was great. As a fat kid, <laughs> it was aspirational. Listen, um, I was also a fat kid. I very much related to the fat boys. And look, if the movie brings you joy, who cares? It's all that matters. I mean, it's not the worst movie. Like, it's not the worst movie. What is I on INDB? It's a four point nine. No, it's not a four point nine. I would definitely give that like a, a five point two. That seems maybe. fair. But yeah, he after that he did Live in Large, which I've also seen for some reason. Um, I don't know my. My brother was way into, let's say, um, you know, black culture in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how I was exposed to like, and he was the white kid buying NWA tapes. You know, that's, oh, that's my brother. No, yeah, 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 I, yeah, one of those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I saw Live in Large. I saw Mo Money. I saw, <laughs> watched a lot of uh, In Living Color, uh, all that stuff. But I think after Live in Large, um, Michael Schultz has mostly done TV, and. He did some Black Lightning recently, and it's some a TV show called All American, which I have not heard of. I haven't heard of that either. That's on CW, apparently. So he's still working, you know. But he is, you know, I I think that he's a good director, but doesn't he doesn't bring a lot of style to what he does? No, like a lot of these movies we've named, there's nothing I can think that distinguishes him or that you could point to and say that's his movie, except the only one thing I kind of see in the movies that we mentioned that we really love, like uh, some of them are really, you know, they're really like focused on having good music and good soundtracks, which is not a thing for him in particular, but like um, a lot of black films are sometimes known as much for the soundtrack as for the movie itself. But I do see like some of his better movies seem to also have like, you know, a really good soundtrack with that movie too. Yeah. Like last dragon. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and obviously Cross Groove. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And Car Wash, yeah, of course. Yeah. But this movie is really the brainchild of two people who are not him. Um, <laughs> one, and the movie's about a car wash. We haven't really said it. It's a, it's a movie called Car Wash. It's about a car wash and the people there. There's not a lot of plot until the it's, very end. It's just, it's just really just one day at the car wash. Like, it's all one day. Yeah. It's inspired by the movie Nashville, which I honestly have not seen. But it's one of those like in the day of life movies and kind of like there's through lines in the plot, but like there's no like it's not a hero's quest, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 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 just a bunch of people going about their lives really, and it's really not even that serious until maybe like the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, there are some tiny parts that pop up that are serious, but the the very end is when it gets gets real, and we'll get there. But the movie was the brainchild of a dude named Gary Stromberg, who. Is an interesting person. Gary Stromberg worked in PR. Um, he was a PR assistant for another company, and then he worked PR for Ray Charles. And then Ooh, okay. he, this is a he's he's a white guy. That's by the way. Um, and his first three clients at his own company were The Doors, Three Dog Night, and Steppenwolf. That's a strong and, start. And he ended up eventually working PR for the Rolling Stones and Pink Floyd. He was well known, he says, for getting high as fuck. Like Damn. his nick his nickname was Snort. Wow. Yes. And he he says he he now work, he now works in a Dixon recovery. So, you know, he's lived the life. He went from being because he, he he always he, in the there's a great interview with him on the, on the Car Wash Blu-ray, Blu-ray. 
And he says, when you're an addict, there are three, there are three stages. There's fun, fun with problems, and then problems. Damn. Um, which you know, is, is, is true from people I've known. And this, he went to fun with problems to problems pretty quick. He burned. He basically self-destructed his own studio, his own PR firm, um, just from massive drug use. And then from there, he went into movies. <laughs> uh, wow. I think he was still doing a shitload of cocaine. This this movie was was fueled by cocaine, I imagine. Um, and he had an idea for a movie set in a car wash, and that was it. And he was well known in music. And so he was able to get a meeting with Universal. He pitched it as a musical, like a stage musical, that they would mm-hmm. turn into a movie. And Universal was like, well, we could just make the movie. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's do that. And <laughs> so he kind of had a hard time getting it together, but he knew he wanted a certain music producer by the name of Norman Whitfield, who we'll get to in a second. And once he got him, everything kind of came together and was able also to get, he, he met with Joel Schumacher who he quotes in the interview as being, quote, very gay and very street. Um, I can't imagine Joel Schumacher as very street. I, I know he's very gay um, yeah. so I, as, as a gay man. You know, Joel Schumacher is best known for the, bat, for the lesser Batman films and probably Lost Boys. But he also wrote The Wiz and wrote and directed DC Cab. Okay, see, hold on. As a black person, the fact that Joel Schumacher not only was involved in Car Wash, but in The Wiz and DC Cab, is this is really, I've gone my whole life not knowing this. And Sparkle. Um, and Sparkle. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he, you know, I guess he was street. <laughs> You've got to be. The gay if, street. If, 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 if not street, he's got some kind of soul because you can't even be associated with any of those movies and not have some kind of like some kind of relationship to like that environment and like that, that like that neighborhood. Like you, you could have named one of those movies. I, I, I was shocked with car wash alone, but like, man, yeah, me that's too. really impressive. Yeah. I, I, I first watched this film during the lockdown and uh, cause I was looking at the same thing, same thing, looking for happy films and the opening credits come out and then it says written by Joel Schumacher. And I just audibly said, what the fuck? <laughs> I think I noticed it for the first time on this watch. Yeah, because when you're a kid, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. when I was a kid, of course, I mean, you know, I don't even think, the, at the time when I saw it, I don't think the Batman movies he had done had even happened yet. And then I think before this podcast, before I was rewatching it for this, I probably hadn't seen it in like, you know, a decade. And, and mm-hmm. back then, I probably just don't remember seeing his name on the screen, but it definitely stood out this time. Yeah, I mean, and we keep saying he's very gay. That I am not saying that in a derogatory term. I mean, he was flaming. He... He's the kind of person who could not be in the closet. Um, just very warm makeup, very flamboyant, just over the top kind of guy. And it, it shows in his films. I think, yeah, see, in, in those Batman movies, a lot of people make those comments when you watch those movies. Yeah. I mean, I have to watch Batman. I haven't watched Batman and Robin since I figured out for sure I was gay. <laughs> I have to watch that again with the gay, with the gay context. And because I bet that movie's, you know, they have nipples. I, I rewatched it for the first time when uh, lockdown started, like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I'd seen it since it came out, like what, like 97, 98? Something like and that, yeah. It, it was, I definitely noticed stuff that I'd never seen the first time. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But as much as he wrote this film, this film is also, I think, you don't have this movie without Norman Whitfield, um, who is the composer. They composed and wrote and completed a good chunk of the soundtrack before they even started filming the movie. Um, wow. Are you familiar with Norman Whitfield at all? Um, I feel like I should be able to rattle off a lot of his stuff he's worked with, but I, I know I've seen his name for sure on Last Dragon, and I know I've seen him in a bunch <laughs> of other stuff, and I, I feel like I should know a lot of it, but I, he, I know I've seen his name in more than just this movie. He is a genius. He was uh, Motown's big, one of Motown's biggest producers and, and, and songwriters. According to Wikipedia... He wrote 92 hit singles for the, for the U.S. charts. Oh, that's and impressive. Up until 1976, which is with Car Wash, I think was his last huge hit, every album he produced went platinum. Every Damn. single one. Um, I'm going to just, I'm using Wikipedia to cheat, but I'm going to rattle off some of his singles um, okay. just so people get, get an idea. Uh, let's see. Ain't Too Proud to Beg, the Temptations version. Okay. You know my everything about the Temptations. I oh, I think his biggest hit is I heard it for, I heard it for the grapevine. Mm, okay. He he did the original version for Gladys Knight, and before Marvin Gaye covered it. And let's see who else. What else? Um, Cloud Nine by the Temptations. That song fucking rules. Too busy thinking about my baby by, by Marvin Gaye. I can't get next to you by the, by the Temptations. That song owns. I love that um, song. Uh, Ball of Confusion, War, Psychedelic Shack. Just my imagination, um, smiling faces sometimes. Pop was a Rolling Stone, and Ooh. all this stuff, and a lot of that stuff later on is what he really became known for. At least for me, Norman Whitfield kind of invented psychedelic soul mm-hmm. with the Temptations album Psychedelic Shack, <laughs> and he created an entire group, The Undisputed Truth, just as a vehicle for his psychedelic soul. And that's where Smiling Faces sometimes comes from. And what was the other big hit? They had a couple ones. Pop, 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 a Rolling Stone. They did that before the Temptations did. Okay, now I got to find that version because the Temptations version is the one that I've known my whole life. Yes. And The Undisputed Truth are awesome. And I really recommend the. All the albums are great. They have an album. If you want some good shit, some good, good shit. Get yourself Undisputed Truths Higher Than High and Undisputed Truths Cosmic Truth. Higher Than High has a fantastic song called Poontang. <laughs> and uh, I'm in the Red Zone, which is one of the horniest songs ever written to the point where it's probably problematic. And Cosmic Truth has a song about UFOs called UFOs. And it has a song, it has a cover of Neil Young's Down by the River, which is like, oh, it's so goddamn good.
those albums are great. <laughs> I just did a Google search in this group, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you're listening to this, you need to Google um, image search. Their album covers are amazing. Oh, everything about them's great. Um, I'm a huge psychedelic fan, psych- um, uh, psychedelic soul fan, and a huge undisputed truth, truth fan. Um, in the late '70s, they had uh, Shaka Khan's sister, whose name is Takaboom. Wait, really? Takaboom, Takaboom. Um, that's, you know, that. not, not her, not her, not her born name. Yvonne Stevens is her is her born name. Okay, okay. Um, but I like saying Takaboom. So. <laughs> But yeah, Norman Whitfield's a genius. Uh, his last sound, he, he only did two soundtracks, well, three, kind of. He did this and Last Dragon. And he also wrote the theme song for I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Now, see, this all makes sense because Barry Gordy, of course, the Motown Association, yeah. and then Last Dragon. And then I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Wow, I forgot. Like, I hadn't thought about that movie, but I'm when you say you that, sucker. I can hear that song in my head. Dude, dude, don't say that. <laughs> yeah, dirty mother. Don't say that. Oh my yeah, god. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't sense. know if he won't. I don't know if he won't fly, guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get you, sucker. Is a movie. I <laughs> so my dad on the video store. I've said it many times on this podcast, and I had he would get promotional stuff, and so in fourth grade, I went to school wearing an "I'm gonna get you, sucker" T-shirt. Yes. So I'm this fat white kid rocking an <laughs> I'm gonna get you suck a t-shirt. Um, which is just funny. Uh but yeah, he's great. And the music he wrote and composed the music, most of the music on the album is by a, a group slash person named Rose Royce, which is a great stage name. Rose Royce Roy, it's hard for me to say with my speech. Um Rose Royce, obviously a play on Rolls Royce, was a group. Um, fronted by Gwen Dickey, who also went by the name Rose Royce, I believe. They had a few hit records. Uh, I think this is their biggest hit, was this record. And I, they also had, I think the other biggest hit, all their big hits are from this record, because they had Car Wash, which is an all-time banger. Yes. Um, And then I Want to Get Next to You, mm-hmm. which is a great, great song. And uh, I'm Going Down. Uh, which um, I know more from Mary J. Blige's cover. Slowly driving me Boy, I'm going down. I'm going down. Cause you ain't around. Baby, my whole by the time Mary J. Blige did a cover this song, I had heard the original so much that the first time her cover came out, I was like, okay, I got to hear this because I knew the original so well. I was like, I want to hear what she does with it. And I feel like not only does she do a great cover of this song, I feel like her cover is as good as the original. And, and either one, if you hear one of them first, like either one could be like, they're really, they're really like compatible with each other and also different enough to like stand on their own i think they're both great versions but mary j crushed that cover she like made it hers mary j Blige sings the fuck out of that song <laughs> she does yeah. she does yeah um that is my of a lot of bands have covered them um madonna covered love don't live here anymore and 
I'm a Madonna fanatic. <laughs> I, okay. I, that I think you know that has been established on various me- forms of media, but Madonna's version of that is not great. It's not as not as it's it's on like like a virgin, which you know is a good record. Trust me, but it's not. I mean, like a virgin. Like a Virgin has Like a Virgin, Material Girl, Angel, and Dress You Up on it, and Into the Groove. So, I mean, you're going to get, it's not that good <laughs> compared I, I to those. Kind of, I kind of, uh, I think I think it was like Massive, not Mass Effect, Massive Attack, I think, produced her version, her cover, I think. Massive Attack and Madonna, that's a what is song is that? I have that. Oh no, too. it's uh, it's it's I want you. That's the other song. Yeah, I want you. Those two That's things. Yeah, I get those mixed up a lot too. Yeah, but I, I I do like her cover. It's it's kind of like more dreamy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want you is a good song also. Um, yeah, and that is that is a remake also. Who did that first? That was a uh, Marvin Gaye. That's right, Marvin Gaye. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So both. Motown That's why they're confusing. There a lot of Motown connections through those tracks. But yeah, um, good soundtrack. Also has the Pointer Sisters for one song. I'm a huge Pointer Sisters fan. They're in the movie. Pointer Sisters album Break Breakout with um, you know, all the hits. That's the one that has Neutron Dance and um Jump and uh what's the song about phone sex? Um Oh, I know the one you're talking about. I can't think of the um, name of it. Uh no, Operator. Operator and well, there's more than a few actually, but um Baby, come and get it. Yes, baby, come and get it. Um, that's the one of June Pointer singing the vocals. I love baby, come and get it because that song is just basically her saying, "Look, you're an asshole, but when you call me on the phone, God damn it, come, <laughs> o- come over." Um, and I've I've had relationships like that, so it's relatable. Um, everyone's been there. Everyone's been there. Yes, but anyway, we're going off topics. Anyway, my point is, this movie has a very good soundtrack. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I like the most about this soundtrack too is that you can just listen to it all the way through and like there's a there's kind of this cool thing in the movie where there's a DJ like you know there's DJs talking throughout the movie and kind of like as a part of like the story and the soundtrack has not only the uh, some of the DJ clips is like interludes between songs it also has like maybe I think one or two movie quotes but it's like a really good album to just put on all the way through because it has a vibe of like you're listening to the radio it's it's got like the feel oh, that yeah. the movie has. And it has fantastic instrumentals. Yes, um, it's just—it's an amazing score. It won a Grammy. And Car Wash was nominated for best song. It lost to the song from Star Is Born because, of course, it did. Um, and it was a big hit. And that was why that helped get the movie made. Because when the producer, when when uh, Snort—I <laughs> don't know—sorry, when. Snort. When when Stromberg told that Universal he could get Norman Whitfield and his, his albums go platinum, they were like, "Well, if it's an album's a hit, we'll make our money back that way." Mm-hmm. And it was, and they did. So the movie didn't even have to be a hit. So they were like, "Make the movie to promote the album, almost." Well, and, and you know, like like you mentioned, like the black exploitation movies, you know, like Chaps, Superfly, and stuff like around the in the seventies. Some of those movies, you know, they probably made even more money, like just on the soundtracks, than they did on the movie itself. I mean, I mean, especially with Superfly and Shaft, they made more money based on sampling of the soundtracks. I would imagine. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like you know, all those movies, all those movies have great soundtracks. There's a great black exploitation soundtrack. I'd never seen the movie. The movie is called uh, Three Tough Guys," and that's where the beat from "My Mind Plan Tricks on Me" comes from. 
by the, by the ghetto boys. And so, yeah, all kinds of great stuff on Blast Potation movies. But anyway, I, one more thing about Gary Stromberg. Speaking of great soundtracks, Gary Stromberg, this movie was a huge, 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 huge hit. And so I imagine Gary Stromberg was able to line up his next film relatively easily. Unfortunately for him, his next film was The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, which I have mentioned on this on this podcast several times. I don't think I'm ever gonna, I don't think I'm ever going to do an episode on The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh because it is a terrible film. Um, it's about a basketball team in Pittsburgh. It stars Dr. J. But, what? But if you can find a soundtrack to that. Um, you can get it in the bargain bins on vinyl pretty easy. There was a CD reissue in about five years ago that now is apparently worth a fortune. Unfortunately, I do not have that. But that is all. That is mostly Philly soul. So that has um, Frankie Blue, Bell and James, The Spinners, Four Tops, One to Two, and the theme song to Fifth That Say Pittsburgh. It's so good. <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to look this up. Yeah, that's a, but it's a terrible movie, and I'm gonna bet that probably ended um, Snort's movie uh, making career, and now he works in addiction recovery, which it seems like an area that he knows quite a bit about. <laughs> I think maybe, you know, usually when I do these podcasts, we go through the cast. You can't do that with this movie. <laughs> you can try to. You can try, but we'll be here. It's like the episode I did with Alex Navarro about Erg. We went through every single band in the movie, which was a lot of fun, but that podcast is two hours long. Um, this would be like a book. This would be like, a, like, yeah, it'd be too much. This movie has a lot of people in it. So I think we should just kind of, I guess, talk about the movie. And yeah. I guess I will probably cover the ending. So spoilers. Um, you can, how do you, how did, is this movie available online? Yeah, actually um, I used to have this on DVD. I couldn't find it. So I was able to stream it on uh, Amazon. You can rent okay, it. It's on Amazon. Amazon. Is it yeah. on Prime? I got to pay for it. Uh, it's pay like three, three or $4 okay. to rent it. Yeah. So there you go. You can watch it that way. So if Prime has it to pay, I'm sure a billion other services do. Um, the Blu-ray is great, by the way. I, I, the Blu-ray is really very good has good interviews. It has a, a very bad commentary track of Michael Scholes, which is like all of his goddamn commentary tracks. Anyway, uh, so yeah, the movie is just day in the life of a car wash. <laughs> and I guess, who do we see first? Roland, I guess first person there is... The well, first oh, person we, we see is in the, isn't it in the girl in the cab with uh, George Carlin? Oh yeah, so the movie opens with George Carlin, yes. Yeah. George Carlin is a cab driver and there is a... A, as he says, a tall black blonde. He's not wrong. Yeah. Um, in the back sheet, back seat, who stiffs him? She runs out, and that's one of the many like running jokes. She's hiding in the car wash, kind of, while he's looking for his fare. And I would say we we never get this. We never get her name. The whole movie no. we see her. The whole movie we never get a name for her at all. She's just a hooker. Um, She's just a hooker. And she is played by Michael Soltz's wife. And apparently she was so convincing as a prostitute that the real prostitutes on the street got pissed at her (laughs) 
for oh wow <laughs> of running on that turf. This entire movie was filmed on location. There's one set, the the, the locker room, the set. Everything else is on location at a real car wash on um, Rampart and Sixth in Los Angeles. The car wash was the Figueroa car wash that is no longer there. But it was a real car wash, which also means it was loud as hell, so almost all the dialogue is dubbed in later. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, all those machines going, yeah. Yes. So we have one through line with her and George Carlin. This was George Carlin's second movie, really. Um, the, after his first, in his first film was a Doris Day film. Really? So, okay, so George Carlin had two careers. George Carlin used to be a straight-laced, buttoned, like, Bob Newhart-type comedian. Yeah. Very straight-laced. And then he became a hippie. So, in the Doris Day film, he's very straight-laced, because it's a, it's a Doris Day film. And not a good one. It's her, it's her I think that's her last film. Uh, anyway, he's all, he's in another bad movie from the 70s called Americathon. Didn't act again until Outrageous Fortune, which is a great movie with Shelley, Shelley Long and Bette Midler. And but he's barely in that. And then he also was in Princess Br- no, um, uh, the Prince of Tides, playing okay, like yeah. what is a yeah fuck that movie. And of course, Bill and Ted. But he was never really a big actor. You know, he he did stand up. Yeah, you just pop up like here and there, do like bit parts in comedies, like you know, like later, like stuff like Bill and Ted, and like yeah. I think he was like a cardinal or bishop in Kevin Smith's Dogma. Like he just he was in Dogma and Jersey Girl. That's and, right. Yeah, I like Jersey Girl. I'm the one. Uh, makes me cry, and but also you know Tom, Thomas the Tank Engine, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> he was Thomas the Tank. <laughs> he was a fucking conductor. Oh, I didn't know that. Yo, no, he did that Holy for you. shit. And I just watched a documentary on him on HBO. I don't remember if you've seen that. Probably was in there. I just forgot about it. Maybe, the, um, maybe that's not a, a big part of his oeuvre. <laughs> but is it, okay, is it just me? But on, on on this rewatch again, I forgot this takes place in Los Angeles. So when the movie starts, I thought he was doing this character accent where I thought this took place in New York for a few seconds. Yeah, there are a few, like he's 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 kind of doing a variation of his hippie, hippie dippy weatherman. Bit, yeah okay what's going on yeah, you know what's going on you know like yeah he's i do like his bit because his bit is like he's basically telling this black woman like hey i'm not racist yeah you know let, maybe you shouldn't get maybe we shouldn't marry each other but whatever <laughs> he's he's actually the whole time in the car talking about how much he trusts her and how how much he doesn't have issues with anyone who's like black you know or all this stuff while she's looking at the fact that the meter's running and she has no money, so she needs to get out of the car. So she needs to stiff him. So Such a great bit. He's making you look bad. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> it's like in Japan, like as as a as a as a giant white man in Japan, I'm like I can't be a dick on the train because if I'm a dick on the train, every Japanese person be like, you see. You see? Oh, all like yeah. 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 Same thing. <laughs> so this does have another guy, um, the Mr. B, the owner of the car wash, who has a good story with him having an affair with his secretary and his dopey son being there. He is very New York. There's, okay. I, I had in my notes, his son, I can't remember the character's name. Lonnie. His, Lonnie, thank you. Lonnie Spencer. No, Irwin, 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 Irwin. I'm sorry, Irwin. Irwin, that's right. He spends the whole movie wearing a Chairman Mao. Yeah. So shirt. yes, I would imagine uh, Irwin is a is a spoof on you know the the college radical. 
Yeah. Okay. But the 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 wit the wit the rich white college radical yeah. who wants to he he who's who's a tourist. Yes. You know that's a great word for it. He spends yeah. so much time trying to get all the other people at the car wash to like kind of accept them and he wants to hang out and and be like around them but all they see him as is like the heir to the car wash he's the boss's son you know yeah and you know he does mean well like i don't he's not and i I think a few of them realize that like at the end one of them says thanks for coming out man thank you yeah because he does care about them i just think he's naive yeah yeah you know very much so i have been i have been the boss's son (laughs) You know, so I used to work in the warehouse with with everybody else, you know, and and not work in the office. So but at the end of the day, I'm the boss's son. Yeah, yeah. He's sincere. But it's like, I mean, because the one thing about this movie, there are even a lot of actors I, you know, just hadn't recognized before. But there is it's kind of a large cast, right? Like (laughs) not kind of. It's a very large cast. I mean, Yeah, it's like, you know, it's 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 kind of interesting how many people you see. Um, and by the time the movie's over, though, you do have a good feel kind of like for who everyone is and like kind of what they want to do. Like, you know, there's like the two guys, uh, what is it, Floyd and Lloyd, who like they want to be singers. And yeah, clearly they're going to like to a talent show, do stuff. And like everyone has like their own thing. Um, but yeah, man, like it's kind of amazing how, how they got like a lot of character and so many people in such a short amount of time. Yeah, there's so many people weaving through it. Like went back to like <clears throat> Erwin's dad, Mr. B. Uh, that's a guy named Sully Boyer who was a New York ass actor. He was in Serpico <laughs> and okay. um, Dark Day Afternoon. And Irwin is a TV actor you never heard of named Richard Prestoff. But yeah, does this Floyd and Lloyd have their everybody has their their bit. Like mm-hmm. their or their thing. Their the, it's a lot of character in these in these character actors. Like Floyd and Lloyd are played by Darrow Ringus, who was in a, a lot of TV, and uh Lloyd is Otis fucking Day, who was in yes. Animal House. Yes. Oh my god, that was bugging me because I was sitting there watching. I was like, "Wait a minute, why does he look so familiar?" Because I've also seen Animal House so much, and this, you know, like his face looked familiar. And I couldn't think of why, and I didn't want to look it up. But yeah, that was that was yeah. really cool to see him in this. He, he also he is Lloyd of Lloyd and Floyd in this film. And thank God it's Friday. He plays a character named Floyd. Another disco era movie. Another disco era. I like. Thank God it's Friday. Not the greatest film in the world, but I enjoy it. Um, I've said before on this podcast, it is probably the second best disco musical after Xanadu, and it's better than The Apple. Fuck you, Shane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Shane told me on Twitter I need to watch The Apple, too. <laughs> no, fuck Shane. God damn it, Shane. Shane Bettenhausen is a menace. Shane Bettenhausen is a menace, and he must be stopped. Um, <laughs> Y'all go anyway. on, on The Apple with, with Shane and James. Oh, fuck you, Shane. I love you, Shane. <laughs> fuck you. Anyway. <laughs> no, I like Shane. Shane Bettenhausen's a nice person who ha- who you- who has weaponized the apple. Anyway. Shane's awesome. <laughs> so I think we should just go. So whose storylines do you like the most? Um, and then we can talk you know, about them. I, okay. Let's save Abdullah for last. Save Abdullah for last. Okay. I was going to say, because he's, he's interesting for several reasons. But um, I... And again, on rewatch, there was a lot of stuff I hadn't remembered that happened. But initially, I liked that everyone had their thing. And I thought TC was kind of cool because he seems like this guy who the whole day he's just trying to like win these tickets to the show and he wants to impress this girl. And of course, he shows up with the biggest fur I've seen this side of Billy Preston. That's a wig. <laughs> Damn. I'm sorry. 
Uh, I was I hoping it was real because I've seen Billy Preston with a fro that big. Billy Preston's the, the piano player. Is that the? Yeah, the the one who played with the Beatles. Yeah, uh, that, thank sometimes. you. Thank you. Yes, yeah, yes. Billy Preston. I saw an episode of Midnight Special where Billy Preston had a fro that big performing. So when I saw a TC in this movie, I'm like, that's amazing because he's got a huge fro like Billy well, Preston. Billy Preston was gay, so he had to be gay to be that cool. So, I mean, I just, as a black person, I always wanted a giant fro. And I never could do it. My hair never got long enough for me to do it. So I always, but, I always think throws a cool fro, um, fro's are cool, but I'm a, I, I am not going to try the white man afro. <laughs> um, some people can do it. Some people can do it. You know, um, yeah, Art Garfunkel. Yeah, Bob Ross. And the, yeah, Bob Ross, the, Bob the Ross. drummer from the drummer from Grand Funk Railroad. Trust me, it was a yep. good one. But yep. you got to have the right hair for it, and I don't. <laughs> so now, let me tell you what character I thought was interesting in this movie is uh, Lindy Antonio Fargus. Oh. Well, let's go. Yeah, Lindy is my hero. So two things about Lindy: one, Antonio Fargus. <laughs> yeah, Antonio Fargus is amazing. He's a legend. So Antonio Fargus is a fantastic. He he is the he's the Black Dick Miller. Dick Miller's a character actor. He was um, the, the the neighbor in Gremlins, Mister Fudder. Okay, I was I was like I know if I see his face. Yeah, he was in. He's in because because uh, Dick Miller. Yeah, I and recognize Anto- him now. Yeah, Dick Miller and Antonio Fargus are both in eight thousand movies. I love. Mm-hmm. Um, Antonio Fargus was Huggy Bear in Starsky and Hutch, yes. and he was in Shaft, Across 110th Street, Cleopatra Jones, Foxy Brown. I've never seen Cornbread Earl of Me, but I heard it's good, and I'm gonna get you sucker. Um, he also apparently played Jim in a version of Huck Finn that I really want to see now. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. I, he is great. He is fantastic in Cleopatra Jones, which is a great movie. And he is absolutely amazing in this movie. Let me, let me tell you particularly in this movie, um, and this is the only way I can say this as a black person. Um, black, the black community... In my experience, I'm not speaking for everyone black. I have to say, in my experience and in, in, in you know my so life, this, what I have seen. Disclaimers, we get it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, black community has not always been very um, okay with like homosexuality and like, you know, gay people and like gay characters in movies. And they've mm-hmm. often been the butt of the joke because they are gay, right? And in this movie, people do make comments and, and lob stuff at Lindy's character, but. Mm-hmm. The character is not treated like a joke because everyone else at the car wash, you can see they sincerely like love this person. They get along. They all talk and treat Lindy like just like another part of the team. And the one time that I made in my notes that Abdullah throws um, a derogatory term at Lindy, Lindy doesn't take it as a derogatory, you know, as an insult. Lindy flips it and like, you know, just kind of like, I'm trying to think of the pronouns here. I'm saying she knows who she is. Yeah, it's hard and, to say. What, yeah, it's hard to say what the point. Lindy is written as a gay man, but right. he he is adopting a lot of trans tropes. So right. it is hard to say nowadays. You would just say that you know maybe non-binary or whatever. I want to say he says he is more man than you'll ever, ever be. So and yeah. We'll, so, yeah, he's the greatest one. We'll get to that line in a minute. I'm going to call him he, but you know I don't know. He yeah, he's a gay character, and. He is without question the first strong gay black character in a movie ever. And probably one of the first strong gay characters in a movie. Like openly See, gay. And knowing that Joel Schumacher wrote this, I Joel gotta Schumacher believe, is Lindy. <laughs> right. So I gotta believe that a lot of that's gotta be because of Joel Schumacher's involvement. Because okay, I make notes on things that just jump out to me as as things I never noticed before. And did you notice at the very beginning of the movie 
there's like a little news report on the radio and there was something about the, the, the gay Congress. Yeah. Yes. And I don't remember ever even noticing that on previous watches, but like this time it really stood out because maybe because I had the captions on and mm-hmm. I noticed all that dialogue. This movie covers a lot of different social topics and, and there's like yeah. a lot of stuff in here about like different types of people, different backgrounds, of course, like, you know, gay and like, you know, different cultures. And this is a really progressive movie, especially for the seventies. Oh yeah. And the thing about Lindy, that's so great. And like, as a, as a gay guy, I, I love Lindy. And mm-hmm. Lindy is unflappable. Yeah. He he knows who he is. He's happy yes. with who he is. And he don't give a fuck what you think. Yes. And I'm going to use a derogatory term here. I apologize. Just so everybody, you know. But I, I feel you have to use it. You know, uh, Abdullah calls Lindy a sorry looking faggot. Mm-hmm. And Lindy's response is just, who you called sorry looking? It's one of the best moments. Like, and then you know he just says, "Honey, I'm more man than you'll ever be, and more woman than you'll ever get." And yeah, fuck you, dude. <laughs> you lost. And you know what? In that moment, because this movie, I noticed in in that discussion, in that moment, there's there's an underlying thing in this movie that this movie is kind of about people and their identity. Because also, of course, Abdullah, his you know his former name is Dwayne, but he wants to yeah. be known as Abdullah. But you even get the sense that he still is not 100%. Like, he's still kind of, like, trying to figure his shit out, right? And oh, here he's comes a mess. Lindy. Yeah, here comes Lindy, who 100% knows I know who I am. And when Abdullah tries to attack Lindy, Lindy's like, what? Sorry looking, like, bitch. Like, and the best thing and, about that scene at the end, Lindy just fucking walks away. Yeah. He ain't even afraid. Yeah. He turns his back and just leaves. It's like, bitch, I'm out. Yeah, oh. this movie's super progressive, for especially like 1976. But yeah. Yeah, just it's cool to see a, a movie like this again, part of black canon that doesn't treat homosexuality as a punchline or as a derogatory thing. Or any 70s or 80s film, not just black movies. Yeah, but I just, I just got to say, again, from my personal experience, a lot of it has been mean, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's been a thing where I feel like in our community, like, you know, uh, like we haven't treated our LGBTQ uh, like family as well, you know, in older media like this mm-hmm. well i think a lot of i mean I, as an outsider I, I i have i have noticed in a lot of black media there is more of a like in some parts of black culture religion plays a bigger factor than, than white culture yeah yeah and so there's that you know so you get to certain parts you know i grew up in a very white part of toledo it wasn't progressive <laughs> So, but I, we, we, I guess we should talk about Abdullah a little bit now. We've already mentioned him. Abdullah is played by Bill Duke. It's Bill Duke's first movie. Holy uh, shit. I he's love amazing. Bill Duke. Bill Duke, for those who don't know, he's not to sound, this is, don't, don't take it the wrong way. He's the other black guy in Commando. And the other, the other black guy in Predator. Predator. Yeah. <laughs> he's also in Commando. Bill, um, Bill Duke's probably the scary, one of the scariest people on the team in Predator. Yeah. Well, I mean, that movie has a lot of scary looking dudes because it also has Sonny. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Sonny Landum is terrifying. Um, and Jesse Ventura. But Bill Duke, he's the guy who cuts himself shaving in Predator. Um, he's the guy who says, fuck you, asshole, to Schwarzenegger in Commando. And then he says, fuck, no, fuck you, asshole. He's oh, in... He's, he's also an another black canon movie, Minister Society. He's the guy that says, you know, you fucked up, right? I know, I've never seen that. Minister Society has a very famous film, or very oh, famous scene in the film, 
when uh when there's an interrogation scene and he'll Bill Duke's one of the cops and mm-hmm. he catches uh one of the characters telling a story, but he changes a detail and he sits oh. across the table and looks at him and he goes, Oh, okay, you see, you know you just fucked up, right? And the scene is so tense because he's waiting for the guy to make a mistake. And again, Menace of Society, part of Black Canon, that scene is a scene that you can quote to people that have seen that movie and they go, you know you're fucked up, right? And they know that's the, it's one of Bill Duke's most famous scenes. You should mm. watch it. Yeah, I want to see that. My, I think when I when it first came out, it was too dark for me. No, no, yeah, not, yeah. I mean, like thematically, not, you know. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Bill Duke's a dark brother, but yeah, it is a dark movie too. <laughs> I'm black, I, y'all. After I'm I black, said I can that, say it. After I said that, I go, that came out wrong. Oh no! Oh no! Um, oh, no, no, you're good. You're good. Okay, I got no, you. good, good, good. No. <laughs> oh shit! Oh fuck! Accident, accident, accidental racism is the funniest kind. Anyway, it's um, all good. No, he's also, but Bill Duke's in a lot of great films. He's in American Gigolo. He's great in that. Um, that's gay canon, by the way. Um, I've, I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. I mean, American Gigolo is the movie. Like growing up, and like everybody's mom liked Richard Gere. I, I, did, I didn't get why because he wasn't really my type. And then mm-hmm. about five years ago, I watched American Gigolo, and I'm like, "Fuck!" I get I feel like it we're, now. She's like educating people on so many different canons in this episode alone. Also, Richard Gere does full frontal in that movie, so you're welcome. Um, he's oh, in damn. that. He plays a detective a lot. He's a detective or, or a cop. He's mm-hmm. in. He plays a cop on. He plays an FBI agent on Bird and a Wire. He plays a cop in Payback. He is a cop, I think, in Exit Wounds. He's a cop in Red Dragon. Uh, he's a cop yeah. in National Security. <laughs> Typecasting much? <laughs> you know, he's yeah. He's also more recently he was in Mandy, which is that. Bat oh, shit. The, uh, the Nick Cage movie. No, the Nick, Nick Cage, Cage yeah, movie yeah. by right. uh, 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 Panos Kostomotos. I forgot how to say his name. Um, like that surreal, death metal, bizarre movie. I recommend Mandy. But he's great in this as Abdullah. And Abdullah, as you said, he used to go by Dwayne. You can see on his locker, Dwayne's crossed off. Mm-hmm. And he wore Abdullah. And he's, he's a black Muslim. I think you know. he also had like picture. Man, I feel like there was a lot of pictures in the background. I felt like he had a picture Malcolm of someone X picture in, his, in his locker. That's right. Yep, Malcolm X. Because the the other guy in this movie that has pictures up is the guy that does the shoe shine, and he's got a picture of in this order: uh, JFK, uh, Martin Luther King, and Daddy Rich, who we'll get to in a second. We'll get but to in a minute. Yeah, I got to tell you again, as a part of the black experience. Yeah, um, growing up in my house in the eighties, my family had. Both the pictures, not the exact, but we had pictures of JFK and MLK in our house. <laughs> I think a lot of white families might have had J- JFK, and I bet a lot of Catholic families still held it. <laughs> but I don't know yeah, how many. Yeah, we were also black yeah. Catholic too, so yeah. Oh, what was there you go? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. Um, but I feel like Abdullah is—he puts up a big front because he looks like Bill Duke, <laughs> but <laughs> he is a I. You get he's a mess. He's like he's barely holding together, and he's depressed and angry about his lot. And you can tell about his lot in life. Yeah, he's also young, right? He feels like maybe I don't know what age he's supposed to be in this, but he feels Mm -hmm. like one of those like okay, if um I keep wanting to call him Irwin. Was it Irwin? Who who the 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 son? The son. 
Yeah, the son is the son is the the son is I believe Ernie. Yes. Yeah, Irwin. it feels like he could be the other like on the other side of that of like another college age dude where like maybe you know the boss's son is is wrapped up in in Mao and the teachers of Mao where Dwayne has found the teachers of Malcolm X and he's gone towards being a Muslim. And like, you could see both of those guys having a similar path where they find something that works for them and they're trying to figure their shit out. And for him, it's something more extreme. And, you know, he's still kind of on that path, but you know, all the stuff about him coming to work later, not showing up. It's like everything else in his life around this one thing he's, he thinks he's sure about everything else. He seems to be like losing a grip on, like he can't even, you know, show up to the car wash on time and keep his job going. Well, I think he he just isn't gonna work because he just can't stand being there. Yeah, and I he's you know it's one of those things where like he feels like he has found a solution to life's problems, but no one will listen to him. Yeah, and or like he has found like he is it's like getting it's like the whole ignorance is bliss thing, bliss thing you know like mm-hmm. like TC TC is living life happy because TC is a yeah. fucking idiot. Um, yeah. I'm the fly, man. Yeah, the fly. All TC wants is, is to be the fly and get concert tickets and go on a date. He's yeah, no, very he's simple. Living a very simple life. Uh, Bill yeah. Duke, uh, Abdullah is angry and nothing can calm him down until the and, and then there's the end, which we'll get there. The the person who's trying to help Abdullah the most is, is Lonnie. And that's the, the, the older black man with the with the great voice. Um, I love this guy. I love this character. That's, that's Ivan Dixon. Ivan Dixon was, I think, probably most famous for Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> um, and he was big in the uh, civil rights movement also. I believe... No, he passed away in 2008. This is his last film, though. His last okay. theatrical film. He he didn't... He wasn't in many movies. He, mo- he mostly did TV. Um, he also directed a movie I've always wanted to see that I haven't seen called the spook who sat by the door that that spook is a spy not the other one um okay <laughs> um but i probably double on double double meaning there uh because it's about it's about the cia it's about racism in the cia <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, um, that makes sense. this is before the whole cocaine crack thing um so that's supposed to be a great movie that i haven't seen and he also directed a lot of TV. Like he directed, he directed the Waltons. Oh damn! Okay. Yeah, and Magnum PI. So that's what he moved into. He came back to this movie to act as a favor of uh, Michael Soltz. Michael Soltz asked him to do it. And I feel like. Go ahead. I feel like every time he's on screen, you can't help but be drawn to what's he going to say next. He's fantastic. Um, yeah. And he's just—he's a reformed criminal. You get that, you know, when his parole, his parole, his, his uh, parole officer shows up. Yeah. Uh, parole officer, by the way, not to keep, that's Jason Bernard. He was, you might recognize him if you're our age, or, you, or he was in Night Court a few times as a judge, and he okay. was in Liar Liar as a judge. He was also okay. in, he was also Herman's boss and Herman's head, <laughs> and he was in the Wing Commander video games. <laughs> Damn, I did watch Herman's Head back in the day, and Night Court. But I like I like Jason Bernard a lot. He's an underrated actor. But yeah, he he shows up and kind of hassles Lonnie, and you can tell Lonnie Lonnie does not want to fuck up anymore. Like he has kids, 
Mm-hmm. His life is together as much as it can be working in the car wash. He wants to move up in the car wash. You know? Yeah. He's doing everything he can to get on Mr. B's good side, but he's not he's not not, not a kiss ass. He's not not, you know, he just wants to do he wants to do a good job. He wants to play it straight. And no, we can, have the we have the kiss ass character though. Oh god, that motherfucker. <laughs> I forgot what what is that character that who is that? That is um I'm looking at I need you know, look people, there are a lot of people in this movie. There's a lot of people in this movie. So I Earl, don't Earl is the kiss ass. Yeah, uh, yeah. The guy who doesn't get wet. Yeah. Yeah, that asshole. That is Leonard Jackson, who mostly did a lot of like TV and uh, guest roles and stuff. Not not a huge actor. He was he did a lot of stage also, but he's he's the kiss ass. He he feels like almost like his aspirational role is to be a black stereotype. I don't even think he wants to be a stereotype. I think he wants to be nothing. I think he he wants to be the furthest from black possible, but also like um, he's very like hello to, to to that white guy. Hello, sir. How, welcome, sir. Let me say what I can do for your car today, sir. Like, he's he's like the Sam Jackson character in Django Unchained. I never. I still haven't seen that. Okay, so mm, <laughs> there's. I'm trying to see if there's another way I can say this without just saying it. You can. I mean, I think we're both okay, thinking look, the same thing. I got. I, I'm gonna say it, y'all. He's what people call a house nigga. I'm sorry. It's look, I was I don't gonna like say Ste- it. I was gonna say Stephen Fetcher. Yeah, same concept. But okay. like I mean, just to keep real, the people that that Carl Wish would call him that. He's oh, got yeah. that vibe of like, I am not one of you. I am better than you. I'm also not one of you as in I don't see myself as like even a black person. I think he didn't even see himself as he yeah. has anything in common with anyone here. And you know, even in the in the song lyrics, it tells you this ain't no place to be if you want to get rich. And he seems to be the only guy who thinks, well, besides the boss, I kind of run shit around here. And they remind him at the end of the movie, you don't run anything around here. I think he's the only co-worker they don't like because everybody's giving everybody shit, but in a fun way. Like, yeah, they make jokes at Lindy, but they, they don't hate Lindy. Like, they right. make jokes at him the same way they make jokes at TC. They make jokes. He's an equal. Right. Um, that guy's not. Earl's not. He thinks he's no. better than everybody else and everybody hates him. Um, Yeah. And so that he is, he is different. I think the other character, kind of similar to him, but in a in a nicer way, is the, is the shoeshine guy. Um, yeah, yeah. Who is played by? Let me get his name again. People, a lot of people in this movie. <laughs> this is uh, a huge cast. Huge cast. I'm trying to. I I did highlight his name. One second. Oh yeah, Clarence Muse. He was born in 1889 and started acting in 1929. He is the first African American to star in a film. 1889. Yes. Wow. That would, mean, that would mean his parents were slaves. Holy right? shit. That's how that works out, right? Timing. 1889? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that would. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if they were in the South, you know. Um, yeah. But he he has a small role. He's very great. I do feel like his role is kind of critical of that type of person a bit. I think he's because of his age. I think his role is also like he's so used to what his life is settled that 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 he's been that way so long he doesn't know any other way to be. Yeah, yeah. And George Carlin has the great line to him. He's like, "Look, I know you look down most of the day, but have you happened to see a tall black chick? <laughs> tall black blonde? Tall black blonde? But tall um, black blonde? Snapper, Snapper is obsessed with, as you said, Daddy Rich." Yes. Now, who is Daddy Rich? 
Daddy Rich is the only person I can think of who could even be him. Richard motherfucking Pryor. Let me tell you something. The first time I saw this movie, not only do you see this gold limo or stretched like car oh, pulling up to the car wash, dope. Yeah. this gold caddy, that's not even like this. You have to absorb this movie. Not only do you see what's clearly a rich car, but the man has his own theme song. So much yeah. so that these singers in the song are singing about him as he, it's like a wrestling entrance. As he pulls up in his car, they're singing about Daddy Rich. Richard Pryor steps out in a suit with a cane and gold jewelry on. And yeah. this guy is just like, you know, he's one of those, I don't, what's the name of those? Like, not televangelists, but like the guys who have like the mega churches and stuff. You know, he's one the of those guys. Like, televangelist, he's a mega church guy. Tele- yeah. yeah, he's like one of those guys, like clearly like for this area. And he's, no, he's based on a real person. Um, is he? He's based on a guy named Reverend Dyke, who okay. they were gonna actually have Reverend Dyke in the movie. Oh, um, wow. and then Reverend Dyke said God told him not to do it. Um, probably wanted too much money. Well, I think he figured out, hey, and this might make me look bad. Um, yeah, but Reverend Dyke and Daddy Rich are both very transparent about money, they want money. His um, license plate says tithe on it. Yeah. Did you see that? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, oh. uh, but yeah, Ike was gonna be in the was gonna be in the movie. They turned it down, and they got Richard Pryor at the very last minute. Uh, I think Stromberg knew him, given Stromberg's habits and Richard Pryor's habits. I bet they had mutual friends. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. <laughs> Cocaine. Um, <laughs> but Richard Pryor is in the movie for like eight minutes, and he owns it. He's he so good. It. He's also one of the ones that I mentioned when you listen to the soundtrack that part of this part of this dialogue he has when he steps out of the car is on the soundtrack because for years I would hear the soundtrack and I would hear this whole thing the back and forth with him and Antonio Fargas where he steps out of the car and she says something about Daddy Rich your car is not whatever he goes thank you Miss and like that whole dialogue's in the soundtrack yeah and the shoe shine guys talking to him and all this and then all the way to the part with Bill Duke and. His whole thing about you must be leading a bunch of fools. That that was one of my uncle's favorite quotes from this movie. Yeah. Um, anytime someone did anything dumb to him, he go, "They must be leading a bunch of fools." And Richard Pryor shows up for only this scene, and he crushes it. And this is kind of the first point where the movie becomes serious too. Like yeah. during this scene, it's, you you get to really see Abdullah's ethos brought up. Like Richard Pryor's like, "You don't believe in God? I don't believe in your God." Yeah. You know, and I think this is also. Like it, it, so Joel Schumacher didn't write this movie, but apparently Michael Michael Soltz did do a lot to the script, uncredited. Mm. And I do wonder, like, I feel like this scene is very critical of people like Daddy Rich, which the white community obviously has its fair of piece of shit televangelists. Oh yeah, but I have heard my black friends complain about black preachers like this. Oh god, yeah. There's yeah. There's I feel like there's some of these in in every uh, area and. Did you not find it more surprising that the other people, that Abdullah was the only one kind of calling him out, or not calling him out, but did you not find it surprising that everyone else was so taken by his appearance, no one else seemed to kind of like just have the vibe of this guy's a fraud? He was, like, everyone else was like kind of like, they were so happy to see him, maybe thinking they were going to get like money for tips or something. I don't know what, the vibe was weird to me, right? I I feel like a few of them are just so young. Mm, Like, yeah. You know, like Floyd and Lloyd and TC, they're young and they want money. So they're going to see a guy who has money and he's cool. And then other people like like the Sushine Man just worship him. So yeah. I feel like also oh, he's a celebrity. 
and also he probably does tip well. So yeah, yeah, true. You want to get on his good side. So yeah, it is, it is, it is weird that Ab- Abdullah does call him out, and that scene is pretty intense, and is like we said, the first kind of more serious moment in the film because outside of that, most of the first, most of the movie is not serious. Like there's a joke about um, the mad bomber. <laughs> that whole thing is so silly. It's kind of um, a weird background comment too, right? Like you, if you blink and you miss it. Yeah. Yeah. But then the guy shows up and they think a guy has a bottle to bomb. It's really a bottle full of piss. It's a long story. <laughs> um, yeah. And there's the, the bookie who gets arrested for parking tickets. And, but that's put as a joke. Um, there's the white chick, um, Miss Beverly Hills, played yes. by played by um, I always forget her name. The the the, the Miss Beverly Hills is played by Lorraine Gray, Gary yes. Lorraine Gary. That is the the wife in Jaws, one of her few non Jaws roles. Um, oh, she's okay. I just watched Jaws recently too, I, and she looked familiar. That was, that was messing with me. I didn't yeah, know well, why. Well, she's only her. in eight movies, and only five of them are not Jaws. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> okay. because she was married to the president of Universal, so uh, okay. why act? <laughs> yeah, Sid, yeah. Sid Sheinberg was a multimillionaire. Why? Why would you even bother? I feel the before we get to the ending, the only other I'm trying to think of who else to really mention. We didn't mention someone who is an SNL alum. Oh yeah, SNL alum. That was weird. Um, yeah, what's his um? Uh, Garrett Morris. Garrett Morris was an SNL. He has one writing credit. The very first episode of SNL won an Emmy. Good for him. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, two two people I want to mention really quick. There's the secretary is uh Marsha, played by Melanie Mayron. She's great in this too. She's very funny. Kind of New York style also. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what are you talking about type person. Um, she is in a lot of TV, but she's also a director. She directed 30-something, won Emmy for it. She directed the, okay. more recently the, the Dynasty reboot. She directed Glow, Arliss, Dawson's Creek. So she's a pretty big TV director. And there's a scene in this where she meets a guy and she's in love with him instantly. Uh, Kenny played by Tim Thomerson, who is in 8 million movies. Uh, he is Jack Death in the Transfers films, and he is also Dollman in the Dollman films. These are like low-budget movies. I've never heard of Dollman, but I was, I was just introduced to the Transfers, the trailer for the first movie like a week ago. Yeah, and he's in a ton of TV going back to the 80s and 70s, and stuff like he was in, and he's in air america which probably is his biggest most mainstream film and a lot of stuff like that but i have a tim thomason story <laughs> so i used to, when my dad owned a video store we went to the video software deals association convention and i mentioned this on an episode of retronauts once it was the big it's like easily for video store mm-hmm. and videos was what big deal in the mid 90s and so i went to one and I saw a bunch of celebrities, and Tim Thomas was there. And I didn't know who that was, and he stopped me. 
and said, you look just like my son. <laughs> what? And my aunt was with me. My aunt was a big Francis fan, so she was pretty stoked. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I ran into the dude two more times at different places in L.A. <laughs> over the same weekend. Once at a party and then at a comic book convention. And he was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> he was very nice. <laughs> That's all I can really say about Tim Thomason. But I, I like I like that. Also, the DJs... Um, you never see them, but one of the, one of the DJs is JJ Jackson, who was an original MTV VJ. Uh, oh wow! Okay, yeah. So that that I recognized his voice before I before he said his name, and I think that's everybody I really want to mention. And there's so many people in this movie. There's a Henry Kingy plays Goody. He's a stuntman who is still a stuntman in his seventies. Um, God, you know, we said Otis Day. Yeah, there's just so many people in this movie. Before we get to the reception, I do want to talk about the ending. Yeah, and for sure. So this is the only spoilers, I guess. So what? Ha- yeah. So Bill Duke, Abdullah gets fired, kind of rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Uh, for not showing happens? up and being Not showing up, being an ass. And then what happens? He gets fired, and it's kind of cool that as the day is ending, you kind of see everyone breaking up and going to do their thing. Like, they're you know, everyone's got something they're going to do. So everyone's leaving. And uh, it gets down to where... Um, the secretary Lonnie. is like, oh, yeah. She's like, I got a date. She's trying to get out. She's counting the cash register down. And Lonnie's like, hey, I'll take care of this. I'll close up for you. Go ahead and head out. So, um, and and just earlier, because we didn't mention it, but when Abdullah does get fired, he goes in this big tirade about, oh, I'll burn this place down. He just goes, yeah. kind of goes off about, you know, screw this. You know, I don't need this place. So Lonnie's closing up the car wash. And um, Abdullah shows up with the gun to rob the place. And he's very serious and he tells him he's like hey i'm not here to talk because lonnie's like hey man we can talk i'm gonna talk to the boss tomorrow get you your job back and uh you know abdullah pulls the gun he's like i'm not here to talk and he's like i want the money and that's all he wants and and what surprised me is lonnie tells him well you're gonna have to like use that pistol or something and then abdullah looks at him like so you're defending the boss and his money but then lonnie takes it in a really different way where he's trying to tell abdullah like and again, because we we saw that you know Lonnie's on parole, he's been to jail. You know he's he's got a pass, and like yeah. you mentioned before, he's trying to get his life on a better track, right? Mm-hmm. And Lonnie uses kind of that experience to tell him, like, no, what you're about to do, you're about to like ruin your life, and it's has a real, yeah, like this is you're gonna like shoot me or rob this place for this, and just put your life on a whole wrong path. And he has this whole moment of just like, hey man, like like put the gun away, and like sincerely sits and talks with him, like. They have like a heart to heart. It happens kind of out of nowhere, you know, and it wraps up pretty quick. But and man, it got really real. And uh, uh, Bill Duke's great in the scene. He just starts crying. Yeah, like he just breaks down. And there's that line it, it sticks with me when he says, "I know I'm not crazy, but every day I have to come here and watch this clown show. Mm-hmm. I just can't take it." And like that's. That's almost crit- that's almost critical of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's like these people are just you know they're, they're they're goofing, but they're all they got nothing to go for their lives. They're just, they're just working a car wash. Yeah, uh, and it's a great it's a great it's a great ending. It's a and it it's it doesn't come out of nowhere because they they do plant the seeds like early on. Lonnie's like, "How are you, man?" And he's like, "Why are you always talking to me? What do you want?" 
oh, are you are you okay? <laughs> like just yeah, like yeah, you know. And so it, they they plant those seeds, but it it's just a great end to this movie that otherwise I think would be still be a great movie but a little shallow. Yeah, I think it, and the, yeah. Well, the only only other thing in the movie that kind of. I don't know that it's it's random, but it, it just bugged me a little bit that we are introduced at the beginning to the hooker, to the prostitute, sex worker. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the right term. Eh, and then we see her, you know, throughout the movie interacting and, and hiding and doing stuff. She's trying to hide from the cops and stuff. And then we kind of book in with her at the end. Like she's there when the car wash closes, watching everyone go home and everything. And seeing like the little dramas that play out, like people arguing or whatever, like the one guy that didn't go home to his, his girl and all this stuff. Yes, go. And then. Yeah. <laughs> She makes like the one phone call. Clearly, there was some guy she was trying to get a hold of. There was a whole thing with her, and yeah. then we just kind of see her at the end as like one of the few people that doesn't leave the car wash. And it's like, well, it's kind of interesting because like this happens in a day. These people's life, like their lives, cross paths. But like, I was kind of, I was like, man, I kind of want to know a little bit more about her story. Like she was just kind of here, but it's almost like she's us, I guess, where she's just observing and walking through everyone else's lives in this day, right? Yeah, and but I, I do also like the bit. With Hippo, yes, uh, who is kind of a goofy—he's the fat guy. Um, yeah, and he clearly there's a great—he wants to fuck the prostitute. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, while the song "Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is" is playing, which is which fun. is my favorite song in the soundtrack because it's funky as fuck. It's got a great put bass your line. Money where your mouth. It's a good song. And if you've never heard it, just go put that song on and listen to I'll it just, right now. I'll play a clip right now. end of the movie like he's he, he clearly does something with the prostitute and at the end of the movie he, he throughout the film he has a handheld radio this mm-hmm. before before this is before good headphones and someone says what happened to your, what happened to your radio oh, i broke it but at the end of the movie you see the prostitute has it yeah because so the last time you see him with it is is when he goes into the room with her yeah so and he's walking away with it so see that's that yeah. was i guess a bartering system <laughs> um <laughs> There's a lot of fun stuff with her. Like you see her changing in the bathroom, and there's a what do you, an, an enema bag. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, she's hanging her clothes up and changing her hair to hide from George Carlin. And I, when she leaves the bathroom, Lorraine Gary is like, "This place smells terrible." And she's like, "Honey, it's the bathroom. <laughs> what the fuck you think it's gonna smell like?" Um, <laughs> Yeah, she is a great little character, you know, and, and it's those little character bits that really add to it and make the parts like when someone's chasing a guy with a bottle full of piss. Um, <laughs> another thing I want to bring up in the ending, in the ending, TC goes back to the restaurant to try to get that girl. And, yeah. And Justin and his girlfriend break up because she wants him to go to college. That's right. And uh, TC is trying to get with this other girl. And uh, at the end of the movie, Justin and his girlfriend make up, but nothing is resolved. Uh, he just tells her, we'll, we'll talk about this like next week or something. Yeah, which I feel like is never. Yeah. And TC 
kind of talks down to Mona and she's like, oh, you can pick me up later. And in my opinion, that's not a happy ending. No. Because TC TC's a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, TC, like this whole movie, like he's on lunch break, everything he's doing, he's like more than obvious. Okay, he goes into her. I imagine he's probably gone to this restaurant every day. Like he's, she, when he walks in, she knows him. Like she's seen him before. Not the first time she's They want a date. They want a date once. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. So they have history. So, but he comes in here clearly like, you know, still want to go out with her. And he figures, cool, I got these tickets on one on the radio today. I'm going to take her out. And then they have this, this back and forth where she pretty much tells him like, you don't have anything going for you. Like, why would I go on a date with you again? And he kind of tells her like, I'm like, he kind of makes it to where like, you might miss on a chance to go out with me. Like he tries to flip it. Like where he's like, if you don't go out with me now, you might regret it or something. Like it's, it's real weird. And then what's crazy about it is like, it's the first time she sees him with confidence. So then yeah, somehow um, it works on her. <laughs> I get that's the stereotype was that girls like confidence, right? Yeah. You, gotta, you know, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like, like when that was happening, my friend was like, honey, no, Honey, no. Yeah, it was more mean than confident. You know, he was just like you said, he was talking down to her. Yeah. And the same thing with Justin's girlfriend. I was like, honey, I mean, if you don't want he's not gonna go to college. No. Like he's just not gonna do it. And if and if that's if that's a, a sticking point for you, then I get it. But like if it's not, that's okay too. But if you if if you you're gonna keep having this fight. Yeah, they just wrap some stuff up kind of like, you know, we're going to wrap this 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 up here, but you can kind of feel like where that was going to go after the credits, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in this movie, like we said, so much that some was cut. You know, in addition to all this stuff, there was an entire subplot with Danny DeVito. What? That was cut out of the movie. If you watch the movie, and when Kenny, Tim Thomason, is walking to the car wash, when you watch when that scene happens, you can see Dan DeVito walking away. Huh. Okay. And so all his scenes were cut. Apparently in the 80s, when this movie was on TV, because it's the 80s, they cut out all of Lindy's scenes and replaced them with Danny DeVito. <laughs> but that's wow. Okay. But those scenes are not on the Blu-ray. Uh, I tried to find them online. I couldn't find them, unfortunately. Um, I would love to see those scenes. He apparently ran the hot do- hot dog stand next door. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's much else we can say about the movie because it's like again, there's not much of a plot. But no, this movie was insanely well received uh, when it came out. Not just the soundtrack. It won. It won two awards at the Cannes Film Festival. Whoa! Uh, apparently, it was up for the the Palme d'Or, the the main award, but the American oh, critics, oh. Pauline Kael and Rex Reed, didn't like it. So the rest of the critics created a special award just to give it to this movie. Damn. Yes, Pauline Kael was a snob, um, and Rex Reed. Rex Reed was in the worst movie I've made, Myra Breckenridge. So he cannot talk. Um, but got great reviews, fantastic reviews. Apparently, the NAACP didn't like it, which marks the second film on this podcast I did that they didn't like because they. I also did an episode on Coonskin. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Ooh, anyway, uh, that movie. Um, but 
It got great reviews. Even give it three and a half stars. And the best review I found was by Sander uh, Banneker, who was also a political correspondent for the Washington Post. He's this old white dude <laughs> who <laughs> loved this movie. Absolutely loved it. His review says, Car Wash is more than a movie. It's an experience that will make you feel good. Car Wash is high art. I couldn't agree more. And I do feel like one of the reasons this film is not in better regard is because it's a, it's a black film. It is. I just, this, is, this, is, this is an art film. This is a film like, um, it's like a French movie. Like, um, what's that? Uh, Cleo 9 to 5. Which is a movie about a prostitute. And it just yeah, falls yeah. to life from 9 to 5. And that's it. Like, this is a slice of life art film with a funk soundtrack. I just feel like it's not as well known. Like I said, like my friends, you know, I mean, this is like 10 years ago and they hadn't heard of it, but again, cause they just hadn't been exposed to it. Yeah. And like the legacy of car wash is movies like Friday. And and so much so that even the song I want to get next to you is in the Friday soundtrack. And Friday oh. is another movie that takes place like in a neighborhood in LA and everything that happens in one day, it's movies like that are like the legacy of car wash. Now there's also, I have to mention it. It's not worth watching. But the Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre movie, The Wash, I was which was just, like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? I forgot that movie existed until, I wish I did. <laughs> uh, until like two days ago, or I would have watched it for this. It's not a remake, right? It's not a remake, but it is. it is them trying to do a similar thing, but it's not nearly as good. There's one bit I would tell you that I think is funny in that movie. Instead of having like uh, the Abdullah character who gets fired, who gets mad at the boss, mm -hmm. the only bit I remember in that movie, well, there's two bits I remember that I really liked, but there's one reoccurring bit with Eminem. And Eminem is a guy who I think he was fired, but either way, he calls the car wash every day and he's talking shit and yelling on the phone all the time at, at the employees. I think, he, I think he is the character that got fired before, but he says this crazy insults and they're always really over the top and funny because it's Eminem. He does his like angry Eminem voice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they'll cut back to him like at his house just like losing his mind just freaking out. And, and then there's another bit where just, uh, you know, it's like Snoop Dogg pretty much playing himself watching basketball yelling at the Lakers. You know, Because <laughs> Snoop Dogg can only play himself. Because <laughs> he can only play himself. But other than yeah. that, it's, it's funny that even when they made this movie, that soundtrack even doesn't have anything I can point to to tell you like, hey, there's, they've got this song on it that's worth checking out. But like, it's a very like forgettable movie. I've rented it one time after it came out, watched it. I was like, okay, that happened, whatever. Never thought about it again until I rewatched this movie. I'm looking at it now, the soundtrack. I've never heard these songs. I, granted, I am not the big West Coast hip hop fan, um, but I've never heard <laughs> Bubba Sparks is on the soundtrack. I'm um, telling you, it's, it's, it's a soundtrack of its time, which I think it was like maybe 2006 when it came out. Oh, one. Oh, one. Oh, one. Okay. But there's nothing as someone who's a. I mean, even big hip hop fans would not tell you there's a song on the wash that they love. No one even, I don't think they even had singles from the album. It's just kind of like Snoop and Dre are making music for this movie. And I think just both the soundtrack and the movie just kind of got forgotten. And it has Snoop, Dre, George Wallace, uh, Tiny Listers in it. Oh, yeah. Um, George Wallace. I forget he was in Lamont it. Bentley, Bruce Bruce, uh, Tommy Chong. And then in, in the, Small cameo part. You got Exhibit, Ludacris, Corrupt, uh, Polly Shore, and Shaquille O'Neal. 
Which, if you're a big fan of Snoop and Dre, I still can't recommend this. I, I I would tell you stay away from the watch. Just go on YouTube, look at like the funny moment. Like it's on Pluto TV for free. So I I still don't think it's worth the time. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just there's better hip hop comedies worth watching. And if you have not seen Car Wash somehow after this podcast, go watch Car Wash instead. It's a much yeah. better yeah movie in every way. And I would say like even though I don't remember it, I'm gonna bet that if you like Car Wash, you'll probably like Cooley High. And Cooley High, yeah, yeah, that would be better than yeah. I do want to watch Cooley High uh, again. I haven't I, seen it since I was a kid. Yeah, I remember. I think Cooley High had something like a little serious, a little more serious in it too. But it, it's overall like a light, a lighter movie about kids in high school. Well, Cooley High, not to be reductive about it and not to sound bad, but Cooley High is basically Black American graffiti. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's actually a really good way of putting it. it I, mean, is, I don't yeah. like to say not whatever blah 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 is the black this. You know, no, that's, that, but that's, that's a good parallel. For not it, always yeah. fair, but I think Cooley. I think I'm not the first person to say this. Uh, Cooley, <laughs> Cooley High is a Black American graffiti. Uh, I there are a lot of movies like this that I do want to see more of that are kind of like not black exploitation films with a black cast. Like I want to see, even though Bill Cosby's in it, those Sidney Poitier films, uh, Uptown Saturday Night, supposed to be a great movie. I, I, you know what? I've seen Uptown Saturday Night and Let's Do It Again. And I got to say, despite the fact that Bill Cosby is a terrible person, um, those I remember watching those movies and those were really good comedies for for the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, not the movie's fault. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Those, those uh, movies are decent movies. And actually, I think also has some good music in them, too. Yeah. You know, so a lot of a lot of a lot of good stuff. I think, you know, these kind of not crime focused black film, quote unquote, black films. From the seventies, kind of get lost in the suffle, and yeah, I think they're really worth rediscovery, especially this movie because this movie is just so goddamn good. But yes, I think we'll wrap up there. It's a long one. <laughs> uh, Anthony, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, where I often tweet about movies and music. Um, I'm at Bruce Wayne Brady on Twitter. Uh, also on Twitch, streaming games on the weekends at Bruce Wayne Brady, twitch.tv slash Bruce Wayne Brady. And you'll be on here again soon. Yes. Looking forward yes. to that again also. we I hinted at it last time because Norm was here. Uh, Anthony will be back. Norm will be back. And I don't, I don't want to say who else is going to be here just, just in case they can't make it. But there will be one more guest coming for all of us to join our forces and talk about American Ninja 2. It has to happen. I can't wait. Now, I, I mentioned last week you can find American Ninja 2 on Vudu, I think. And if you, So if you want to watch it before the podcast, this side of the way, you don't need to watch part one. I mean, you can. It's a fine film. <laughs> but there's no through line. <laughs> so yeah. don't worry. Yes, you can watch it as a standalone movie. You can watch it in any order. Yeah, it's fine. They're like Bond films. No. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as usual, you can find me at LostTonTable.com, on YouTube at Lost Tone Table, Twitter Lost Tone Table. This, that's me. And on the other podcast, uh, Alexander's Ragtime Band, the podcast about progressive rock music. Another 70s mainstay. But uh, see you again in a couple weeks. Until then, take care. Ready?